Canada's nineties. Um, you know, there was a car that was pulled off the side of the road, and he, he was just checking to see if anybody was in the car, see with the car, and there was a a lady that was slumped over the the front wheel, and and he pulled her back, and you know she was she was wearing her clothes and stuff and didn't notice anything, just thought maybe she had a heart attack. So when they, they took her in for an autopsy and they took her clothes off, they know that her half her rib cage was 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 shown. Like the same thing like with a cow. You know? Oh wow. Yeah. And that's a story I heard. And um any I, missing organs sorry. or just Well, I mean that's it, it was it, all I all I heard was was it wasn't on her face, it was under her clothes that um that she had these surgical cuts and there was, and in that case, there should have been blood everywhere, but, there, yeah. you know, but, but the Mountie didn't even see any blood. So in other words, she was, you know, drained of blood and then the cuts afterwards. And it's not like she drove there herself. No, no. And she was taken back to her car. Now yeah. that's the story. And I've tried numerous times to try and follow up from the people that I got the story from. And it's always been a dead end. Same thing with, with the Tennessee case. You know, I try to follow up on it, and, and it's just kind of a dead end. So it's really, I can't guarantee it could be just a wives' tale, you know. But, uh, you know, the, the source it came from uh, was was a good source. Unless unless that source, you know, the person who gave it to that source wasn't a good source. It's hard to say. Um, but, you know, that's it's still it's something in the back of your mind as an investigator. That's why I, you know, I'm always... Now, granted, you know, I carry a gun, but that's not going to help me against aliens, you know. Or, Probably not, no. Or Bigfoot. I, I guess I could shoot myself. With I have bear spray. <laughs> bear spray on aliens. Hey, you know, you got big eyes. That might actually help. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, with my luck, it would just work on me. I'd be the only one coughing while they were just, like, looking at me like, we don't breathe. <laughs> yeah, but let me, yeah. let me tell you this about about Bigfoot, though. And I, and I can get a hold – I can't get a hold of these – like I don't have them, but I know who's got the the uh, the reports. Um, it's a, a the crime reports from the sheriff's department in, uh, in in Tennessee over by the Appalachians. So there was two reports that I saw. Um, a good friend of mine's got them, uh, and one of them, a rancher, I'm not a rancher, a hunter had walked up, and during hunting season, he was out there hunting whatever they're hunting deer, or elk, or whatever. And he comes across this, this tree and he sees this tree is kind of hollowed out in the middle, an old tree. And there's a torso of a man shoved inside that tree and arms and legs of that man are stuck on the branches. And then there's a rifle broken in half laying at its feet, the, the corpse's feet. Now, I read that. Now, that was an actual case report that I read. And, and of course, their conclusion was there's some nut job out there killed this guy. But think about it. What would it take to pull an arm off of another man? That's a tremendous amount of strength to be able to do that. Now, this is an area where there's been Bigfoot sightings. So one conclusion there was, and I've heard of these things before, where there have been rogue Bigfoots, or you know, which are just, for whatever reason, you know, just retaliate for whatever reason. But I can guarantee you this to your listeners, if you decide to go out Bigfoot hunting or you see a Bigfoot out there, don't shoot at it. Don't do it. It ain't not going to help. It's just you're going to piss them off. And we think that's what happened. We think the ranch or the hunter um, 
you know, took a shot at a Bigfoot and because it was an area where there's been a lot of Bigfoot sightings. And this was the Bigfoot. Now, either you could have killed the Bigfoot and it could have been a family member or a clan member of the Bigfoot that did this in, in retaliation, or it could just could have been the Bigfoot that he, he tried to shoot and kill, came back and made an example of this guy. Now, the second one I read was there was a young man and woman that were that were hiking, day hiking, in, not in the same area, but close to the same area, um, within a you know, 50 miles or whatever, 40 miles or so, still in the Appalachians out there near Tennessee, near in Tennessee. And um, they came across this clearing. And this is, this is the boy's, you know, this is, this is his interview to law enforcement, that there was a Bigfoot out there in a clearing that picked up, was picking up a deer and carrying it off. His girlfriend started screaming. She just started panicking, just screaming. This thing dropped the deer, ran towards them. They, they, they were stunned. You know, it came upon them, they came upon them that fast, took the girl, picked her up, broke her in half, and dropped her. She stopped screaming. It ran back, picked up the deer, and took off. That was the boy's interview to the, to law enforcement. This was, Whoa. now this was law enforcement's interpretation. <laughs> they think it was a bear, got up on its hind legs, ran over to the lady, killed her, ran back, grabbed the deer, and took off on its hind legs. Oh, no, yeah. Well, we've all seen bears do that. Well, Yogi, Yogi does, yeah. so, you know. And then again, too, I was with law enforcement, and, and I was terminated. I was a volunteer, so I wasn't getting paid. I didn't have a pension or anything. But, I, you know, I was terminated because um, there was one guy within law, you know, within the command staff that didn't like what I was doing. Uh, being a UFO investigator, you know, um, on my own, uh, my personal life, and and he didn't want that associated to the sheriff's department. You know, went around policies, procedures, and that was in local news out here, and and even the local newscast couldn't find anything within the procedures that I was doing anything wrong. If you happen to see a Bigfoot, or you or what you think is a Bigfoot, don't provoke it. You know, and definitely don't shoot at it because you won't had the opportunity to talk about it pretty much, I guess, uh, you know, based on well, what I've learned and, and what I've read. But on the flip side, um, they're, they're right there to help you too. So I think it's, it's, it's just like, just like a human, you know, if you try to attack, you know, someone try to kill someone, they're going to attack back, you know, they're going to, they're going to try and protect themselves. And if they have the means of, of, uh, you know, eliminating you before you eliminate them, that's going to happen. So I think that's what it is with Bigfoot. There's been a case in Bailey, Colorado, where I, you know, where I was doing, I've done a couple of investigations out there. One of my investigations made Finding Bigfoot TV show. And uh, every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll meet up with uh, Danny, who is uh, search and rescue out there in the mountains. And there was one case where he was out looking. He had, he'd split up from, from the search and rescue crew to look for this lady who went missing. She went hiking. And while he was walking in a, in a general area where she was last seen and going, following trails and stuff, a pine cone hit him. And he looked around and, and he, what the heck was that? And, and he wasn't anywhere near where there were pine cones. And then he heard like this little, you know, whistle, like a shh, 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 shh. And so he turned and started heading towards the, 
that a little whistle noise. And he kept going in that direction about an hour later, or 40, well, no, it was about a half hour later. You heard another little whistle from a different direction, and he started heading towards that. And within about an hour and a half or so, he comes in this clearing where these rocks are in this water. And there's that lady there sitting on one of the rocks just crying, thought that was it. She was going to die because she was, you know, all by herself out there. She was lost. He swears that a Bigfoot, you know, took him to where she was. So there are those cases. There are a lot of cases of where Bigfoot will help you. But there's other cases where um, you got to be on your guard. The same guy told me another story about coming across a tent. And everything, everything outside the tent, this is in Colorado Mountains, everything was out there. There was, a, there was a cooler. There was utensils. It was all sitting really nice. And it wasn't like a bear came in there. And, and there was nobody in the tent. Walked around the tent to see what was going on. Somebody had made a back door <laughs> and hightailed <laughs> it out of there. <laughs> From the inside? From the inside. They took a knife and they made themselves a back door and off they went. They left everything there. They left everything except the clothes and, and their ID and everything. They just took off. And if it was a bear, the bear would have just trashed the place. But whatever, whatever... That person saw it. Now, then again, too, I can tell you another story of aliens out here in Colorado, you know, not more than 20 miles away from my house that were seen by campers, actual gray aliens. So oh, really? that person could have saw a gray alien and hightailed it out. They never did find the person, never did find the vehicle because it was after the fact. It was probably a week or so later or three or four days later when they found the, the, the tent site. Oh, yeah, it's a great it's a great story where these kids were. Were uh, matter of fact, um, another he's another investigator was his daughter at the time. Um, he was a Denver PD officer. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember his name, but he, I didn't know him at the time. And he drove from Denver to the location where his daughter was um, to get her. If if he would have known me a year later, he you know I could have done it myself because I could have just drove up. But uh, they were during spring break and they were camping in this in this area. The camping it's. it's Rampart Range Reservoir, so they're up on Rampart Range Road over in uh, in Colorado. And you go way, way, way back. And there's camping out there in the middle of nowhere. And there's bears and there's mountain lions out there, but they're all together and they're a bunch of kids, you know, uh, camping. Anyway, she contacted her dad. It, it turned out that it, that it was an abduction. It appeared to be an alien abduction that went south. And what happened was, was, and and he swears by this, and he was a Denver PD, and his daughter, I talked to his daughter, she swears by this too. There's no, you know, and they don't make any money off of their saying this is just one person telling another. And he's told his story. Now I'm pretty sure he's told it to some podcasts since then. But um, so she wakes up in her tent, and she sees this mist. And I forgot what color the mist was, but she sees this unusual mist in, in a tent. And her girlfriend's in the tent with her, and she's trying to wake her up going, she thinks it's a fire. That is smoke from a fire. She's trying to wake up her friend, and her friend's not waking up. So she opens up the tent to, to yell to the other kids out there in their tents. And when she opens up the tent, she sees gray aliens out there, a few gray aliens just stopped hmm. dead when she screamed and saw them, right? And then they kind of like stopped dead and stared, and then they took off running. She stopped and she stopped a possible abduction from what we think. Now, why wasn't she? I mean, like, you know under like her friend was well she was on a steroid inhaler for asthma at the time oh 
And that's the only thing we can think of is that she was on a steroid inhaler. And maybe for whatever reason, she didn't go under. Now, I'm not going to, I don't want to explain this because I use this for my investigations. But when she explained to me how the aliens ran, it's not how you would think a human runs. It's, it's, it's a different type of gait. It's a whole different thing. It's, they kind of run awkward. I won't go into details. but they, Is it like a waddle almost? Well, it's, I'll just say it's an awkward run. And um, They run like me then. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like to go into detail because what I do is when people tell me that they've seen an alien, um, I'll always say describe how it walked, describe how it run. And if they describe it the way that a human runs or walks, then I know that they didn't see an alien. That it was something else that they saw. So anyway, go back. Now Now you go back a couple of years after that, where we had that cattle mutilation case in Georgia that I had the, the rancher grab me some soil samples. Well, he talked to me and he says, Chuck, he says, I'm going to tell you something that I've only told my wife, but I didn't tell the sheriff. I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, I'm just afraid of saying anything, but I'll tell you now that I've talked to you enough and I trust you. I said, okay. What, what is it? And he says, well, I went back the next night after my, my bull. You know, when bulls are mutilated, bulls are used for, um, you know, for, for stud, right? So they're expensive. Most of the time people will buy them. It's other times ranchers will, you know, they'll just rent them, <laughs> you know, stud bulls. But he had a couple of stud bulls. And, and uh, you know, when you lose a stud bull, you've not only lost five $6,000 worth of a, of a bull, but you've lost generations of calves after that so um, he was mad and he goes well some sob came on my property and killed this animal i'm going to go after him so he went out the next night on his atv with a gun in hand and a spotlight and he parked in an area where uh, where the animal was mutilated and he says he says, i have only told my wife this he says i saw it was lightly mooned you know lightly lit night with a, like a quarter moon i saw a figure off at a distance I go, there's that son of a gun. And I flashed my spotlight at him, and he saw a gray alien. Hmm. And, and and he panicked. I go, what did you do? And he goes, I panicked. I dropped my gun. <laughs> I go, you dropped your gun and not your flashlight? <laughs> because he was focused with the flashlight on, the, on what he saw. And then it took off running. And then when he described to me how it ran, it was identical to the way that this lady had described what she saw a couple of years early here in Colorado. So that mm. that now I know that they both saw something that wasn't human. They both described it exactly, not only of, of its appearance, but how it ran, how it, you know. And um, so that's how you use little tidbits like that as an investigator to know that, okay, now we now we gotta watch this area too. Now with mutilation cases, mutilations usually happen in threes and fives. And I don't know why, but, you know, it's not just one. And there's usually, there'll be a couple of cases, usually in the same area or a couple miles away. I've had, I had one case that happened here in Colorado. The next day it happened in Missouri. So it may not even be local, but they, but they happen. Um, I've never seen, well, I shouldn't say that. Most of the time, it seems like it's at least three you know, based on talking to, you know, um, the ranchers and previous, you know, mutilations they've had and, and, and what's going on. It's usually not just one. The, the other animals you'll probably find later. Most of the animals that I've ever, well, all the animals that I've investigated are free grazing animals. So, you know, um, the rancher may not even find them until a week later, right? You know. 
Right, because they're they're taking it at night from just being outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And since they're free grazing, it's not something you know. If you got a, you know, Garen case, you know, he had three. We probably had three, four hundred head of cattle. You know, and and uh, every one of them was tagged because he was a corporation. So we were able to backtrack the health history, everything on that one cow, uh, and which really helps. Uh, most of the time, you know, these ranchers will have 60, 70 herd, maybe under 100, and they're free grazing. They'll split up. You know, I got tons and tons of stories. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But, you know, you do so many years of this stuff, and 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 you, you hear these stories, and the stories start relating to other ranchers' stories, and you start finding a commonality. Then you start focusing on that commonality because, you know, here's one thing, you know, as investigators, and, and, and you're – in training or you become an investigator when you interview people about, uh, and this is something cops do too. So you, you know, you want to interview someone about a sighting, maybe one, two or three people interview them. Now they're all going to, they're all going to tell you a little bit different about what they experienced pretty much in their own words. That's just the human aspect of it. So don't get caught up in, into, you know, the, those outside details. First off, you want to interview them separate. Don't interview them all together. You want to interview them separate. You want to get each story separate. And then the, each story is going to be slightly different. But what you want to do is you want to take what's common in each story and focus on that. You know, the color, the shape, the sound, whatever it is, right? That's what you're going to have to focus on because that's the only thing that you can really focus on that's, that's uh, you know, valid, right? Is because... You know, we all we all tell stories a little differently, and and uh, you know when we see something, we experience. It. Even now, when I'm telling you my story, it might be slightly different just because I'm just human, you know, and and I don't exactly remember everything. I kind of kind of do because I've been doing it long enough. But you know, um, when you talk to me and Joe Fex about what we experienced over in Ure, and you listen to both our stories, you're going to get pretty much the same story I told you. <laughs> right. But anyway, as an investigator, that's what you want to do. So um, interview them, and you want to get at least a couple of people, if you can, separate them, interview them, and then work on their commonalities, and that's what you want to focus on. And that's where you're going to, you're really going to make headway because, uh, you know, that's going to be the evidence you want to point to because the other stuff could just be, I, you know, my assumption my assumption based on, you know, what I know about this or what I know about that or whatever. Um, and then evidence too, when you look at, look at evidence, you know, uh, every, every piece of evidence, just like, you know, uh, a criminal, right. You know, uh, a criminal is not really criminal until, you know, he's tried and the judge, you know, he's just, he's just a suspect. Right. So, you know, so having done this so long, Chuck, uh, in closing, have you, I mean, cause ufology is many different hats you have to wear you know you're going to be you know the investigator you're going to be the person that follows through a uh, person that contacts everybody but have you come up with a theory at this point having worked um in the phenomenon especially with the cattle mutilation like see at some point we have to come up with some sort of theory have you this, like, is it still just too weird for you to come up with anything, or do you have like your suspicion of anything? Um, I can tell you this from what I've learned. I know that there that there's something here that's monitoring us because I've picked it up on camera. I've actually there was a case in Missouri where um, the Marley Woods case where I I actually changed the environment. I took a bunch of television to gausers, which are electromagnets, 
and I literally created an artificial magnetic field about 50 feet in diameter in an area where these balls of light. I had suspicion that the balls of light that are popping up in these woods are running some type of, of, of analysis or watching the environment for whatever reason. So my theory was, was to go out there, change the environment briefly, and see if one pops up, and it did. I changed the environment and wanted to see what I was doing, or it monitored that the environment changed. So that told me firsthand that they're monitoring our environment for whatever reason. You know, like maybe we would monitor, you know, environments on Mars or, you know, we just sent a Mars or, you know, we're going to be sending one or we just sent one, didn't we? Sending one tomorrow. Oh, sending one tomorrow. Okay. So it went off tomorrow. Yeah. And then, you know, then I guess the moon was just recently. Same thing, right? So we're learning the environment. Now in 2016, on, on July 3rd, my sister Debbie and I were in the area we would lecture there, and then we decided to go out and start searching that night because it was a beautiful new moon night, and you could see the you know, the stars and the galaxies. It was so cool out there. So we drove to an area where there's been UFO sightings. Um, not only that, but it's the same area where, I, where the famous Roswell Rock was found, and that was one of my investigations for all those people. Just look up Roswell Rock. Um, so we went there, and a light showed up. And communicated with us on a, on a completely dark night. And I'm looking at this thing with night vision binoculars, and I don't see craft. I don't see drones. I don't see anything up there. But, but this light was, was communicating with us. I'd flash my lights on my truck. It flashed back. And uh, we seemed to think it followed us out there. And it flashed first when we first got there. And we actually had communications with this thing. Shortly thereafter, some really interesting things happened. The, uh, and this is all true. I mean, I wrote a blog on this, but some interesting things happened, you know, where um, my sister and I, I had a, uh, this is my previous Ram that my my truck now that I have, it, I, it doesn't do this, but my previous one, you could open the door by just touching the handle, right? And the doors would unlock and the lights would come on. And, you know, that just has to do with, you know, the capacitance in, in your hand and the resistance in your hand and how the sensors are set up. But so my sister and I, right after this happened, the the uh, the cows started like making all these bellowing, making all this noise. Coyotes started making all these noise, and just everything started happening all at once. And we're kind of like looking at each other, going, "This just came out of the blue. Why are they all yelling at once?" And we're standing about twenty feet away from my truck, and my truck lights came on, <laughs> and it's as if something touched the handle. The lights came on inside, and the truck came on. And I'm going, okay, this is one of those times, you know. Like I said, there's been times where, you know, the batteries go out on your vehicles and your cell phones and all kinds of stuff. So there was something happening. Not only did we see the light, but now as an investigator, not only do you need to just investigate one thing, you need to collaborate other things to it. A good investigation will give you something where, okay, I have an eyewitness that saw something, then the eyewitness has got evidence that makes two things if you had a third person that saw the same thing now you got three things that makes that that investigation solid rather than just one person saying i saw a light but i have no evidence right so um the the more investigations and these are the investigations you want to you want to go after ones that have some type of physical evidence as a picture or something on the ground or something because that enhances what the person saw and that makes their you know, uh, makes their story or, you know, or, or, or being a witness more reliable, right? 
and because it's your time, you know, you're, 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 you're taking your time away from work and you're spending your money. And we already talked about that. So here was this case where we're out there and we see this light flash and stuff. And then we're going, okay, that's interesting. And then I'll, then a few minutes later, you know, the animals start making all this noise and then the truck lights come on. You're going, okay, well, there's just too many one things happening (laughs) (laughs) to the, to the same event, which makes it a good investigation. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was way cool. Way, way, way cool. Um, you don't you don't get a lot of those. You know, we just happened, for whatever reason, whatever was out there was really interested in us. Hey, buddy. Jason here. Did you hit that subscribe button yet? You know you were going to do it anyway, so you might as well just go ahead and click it. Just right now. I'll wait. I'll pause the whole interview. I don't care. There you go. Now let's we're get back to the interview. In society where um, there you know false accusations accusements being accused of doing something it's 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 really getting crazy out there you know things are changing and to a point now where I won't do an abduction case anymore because you become very liable um, where oh absolutely yeah. could but but now if you have a person who claims that they were abducted the first thing as an investigator that you should say is you need to go right to your doctor, your physician, have a complete physical done to make sure that you are healthy. You have to go that route first. And then, and then depending on, on what they're telling you, then this is just to cover you from being, you know, uh, you know, being liable. And then, and then um, based on what you tell your doctor, we, based on what your doctor finds, you know, that's number one is your health. Number two is, you know, your, your mentality of, of what of what happened. Do you need to talk to, you know, uh, you need to talk to some a psychiatric person or, or, or psychologist or someone or, or just or and, and that's okay. You can you can jump into that if you want, which is fine, you know. But the main thing is is you have to take care of the medical side first before you even go talk to them. You have to you have to convince them to go see their doctor, and you will only go talk to them after they go see the doctor because if in fact they did. If, they, if there was an abduction, then there could be some serious physical consequences, you know. And and if there is, and as a professional investigator, you don't bring that up, you know. I don't know about Canada, but out here in the U.S., anybody can sue anybody in the civil lawsuit, right? And and if the court seems to think that you manipulated them enough that you, that you wanted to, you know, further your career as an investigator without looking at the health and well-being of your witness, then, you know, you can be liable. I mean, so this is, it's, it's really sad, but, you know, as investigators now, we, you know, we have to think about the liabilities of doing stuff to, and even to the point too, where your friends are different, you know, but if, you know, you take anybody that that's, you know, not a friend of yours, you, you make them sign a waiver. In case they get hurt or something happens, you happen to be in an area where they experience something that really messes them up. You know, you better cover yourself. It's sad, but but you know that's pretty much how you got to cut. You know, you got to cover yourself too, so you can keep. And I got caught up in that, and he turned right around and manipulated evidence. I caught him manipulating evidence. Stopped. I stopped being his investigator. Then it turns out he became, you know, a pedophile. 
And yeah, I thought that guy in part of my French here was full of shit. Well, um, yeah, I can t- from the get go because I don't understand why an alien species that can traverse the universe just plays peekaboo with him through his windows or through the railing. You know what I mean? Like, there's more than just peekaboos. Like, I, I never thought that his claims held any validity. I didn't think the proof was there. It just looked like paper mache to me. Well, that was that was about the time because that was before that. That was about the time that, that uh, you know, when he had the alien looking through the window and then the one around the inside of the house, that's when I, that was my red flags coming. Okay, I see what's going on here. He's turned this into a money-making, you know, business. It, and this is how, this is how he's going to survive now. He quit his job. His wife quit her job so they could, they could do this. And, you know, and that was about that time frame. He did have an actual experience, um, that, that got me started with Stan. And then he, you know, he had a couple really good experiences. And in my opinion, you know what he, from the very beginning, he could have been an abductee from the very beginning, but it only happened once. And that was the end of it. And um, he wanted to go on further because he loved the intention. And the, the more he talked about it, the more attention he got. He had a following of people. My gosh, he had these, beautiful brunette women that were following him saying that they were his wives on the ship, you know, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it became, it started to become a cult and people were, the, the millionaires were paying for, you know, his house payments and buying him a car. And, and, you know, I blew out way before that because I could see too many red flags and, and how he was being, you know, manipulating people. And because this guy had the spotlight on him for a while. And then he messed up. Right. Right. And then he realized, oh, he was full of crap. And then that sets it back because then somebody can refer to, well, what about this guy? He was full of crap. Right. And you're, and you're right. And that, 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 that's, you know, that's the pie in our face as investigators, because we have to, at that point where I said earlier, you don't have to explain yourself. I don't like explaining myself, but those points, you, you have no other choice than explaining yourself because you have incidents like that. Anybody could be a ufologist, but you, you know, their private life is their private life and you never truly know an individual. Um, I'm just mad about what that does usually to the UFO community. I mean, cause we're already, I mean, there's so much hurdles that we've had to go through even to get to this point. Right. Um, we still have to fight that stigma to a certain degree. And then, you know, especially being with MUFON, um, the image now that, you know, we have to sort of iron out a bit because that did tarnish us. And I, I guess there was a few bad apples in that lot to begin with, with MUFON, not, not the internet sting, but just people that weren't reflecting um, the morals and the way we should behave with MUFON. So I guess some of that has tarnished the image of the organization, but, you know, we can turn it around, right? Um, it's, it's all about us being vocal, People knowing the investigators out there, knowing who's doing the work, and I agree with you. There's there's so many people like like you and me that are spending their personal time, you know, to do run investigations for MUFON. There's anybody can become an investigator through MUFON, you know, by taking the course and stuff, and then running their own investigations that are issued to them by MUFON, and then you know, then they, they they'll know on their own. But you're doing it with your own money. You're doing it on your own time. You're not getting paid by these guys. So, uh, you know, there's the fault shouldn't and the blame shouldn't go on the investigators. I knew Stan was was lying, but I never thought he was a pedophile. You know, I mean, you know, those are certain things that, uh, 
the Jeffrey Dahmers out there, you know, the world that can keep to themselves. Yeah. And I could get, I could do, I could do another podcast on why good cops go bad, or you know, or sway. And it's and it's all based on human nature. That's all it is. You know, it's yes. it's, it's not that they start out that way. It's 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 what caused them to go that way. And uh, Cor- corruption can happen to any one of us. Well, you know, it happens uh, within the company, happens without the company, happens on the streets. It's just if yeah. you know if you see it all the time, all the time, all the time, and no one does anything about it, you're going to get caught up in it without realizing you're getting caught up in it. You know, and that's that's human nature too. There's a saying that the cops should adapt, but I've heard it recently, which was nothing kills a good employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. That's right. And I thought, man, that works across even into the field of law enforcement. <laughs> well, <laughs> out here in, in the U.S., you're talking about removing law enforcement. And the, and, the, and the politicians that are talking about have already hired private security, right? So anyway. And how is that going to play out? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah, get, get rid of that. Like, then who are you accountable to? Well, what's going to happen, and I was kind of hoping that Portland or Seattle might actually do this so the rest of the world could, or the rest of the country, our country could see what would happen. Because what would happen was you, once you remove the police officers, you would still, for society to exist, you still need, you know, you still need to abide by rules and regulations for us to, you know, or else it'd be, you know, utter chaos and everybody killing each other. And then the governor wouldn't want that and the mayor wouldn't want that because they would be the first people that would get offed. You know, so, yeah. so they would hire, they would hire a private security force, you know, like what we saw in Iraq, right? You know, the private security force that, that went in. The, my son was in Iraq, and he, he saw the, the private security forces go in there and just all the best materials, the best, you know, the best vehicles. And, uh, boy, they went there then, and they cleaned up. And they did things that, you know, that our army, our military would never do because they don't, they don't answer to, you know, the, the military. The answer to a CEO. And that's what would happen with, you know, you would have a private security. They won't answer to a CEO. They don't answer to the people. And if you do something wrong, and if you take a swing at them, they're just gonna they're gonna take you down, and they're gonna you know too bad for you. And it's gonna be like RoboCop stuff, or even worse than that, you know. But hopefully, we won't get to that point. <laughs> well, fingers crossed, right? Yeah, yeah. Keep fingers crossed. You know, even even the federal agents that are federal officers that when into Portland or taking a beating because they've refused to cross that line. Because that's, you know, all it takes is, is, is for one private security force to go in there. There's already been some people getting shot out here and then running over protesters in the middle of the street, you know, and sad, you know, anyway, and you guys don't even want us there. (laughs) No, no. It's the first time in history where Canadians are like, no, thank you. No, thank you. All- <laughs> We're good. Thank you, please. Yeah. <laughs> all, the, all, yes. all, all the actors and celebrities that said that if Trump got elected, they were going to move to Canada. Canada goes, okay, uh, you have to prove to us first uh, why we would want you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What what virtues and values yes. are you bringing into the country? Yes, yes. What can you offer us? And, yeah. and uh, you guys get away with it, but we can't, darn it. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, yeah, but it's not much. I think it's just out here. It's more the mentality. Yes. I think if the mentality changes, I think even this COVID has changed the way people think, like sports. 
why are we so freaking adamant on sports? Just people throwing a ball around. It doesn't save anybody's life, right? And then even just the way things are going now, you just realize there's a lot of things in place that are just illusions. You know, I, I hate that, to say this as an American or U.S. guy, but, you know, I, I seem to think that I've always thought Canada just seemed to be a little more mature. Just a little bit. We just, you know, we tend to, it takes us a long time to get mad. Um, but then when we do, we really do. Like, obviously, we were part of the two world wars. Yes. I think World War II, we were in World War II three years or four years before the Americans got right, into it. Right, right, Um, So, but we've always been like, you know what I mean? Like, we'll always go for the underdog. I don't know. It's just a Canadian way, I guess. I have a lot of respect for you guys. I really do. 